0: welcome to israel bible podcast my name is cindy parker and i am an author a speaker and the professor of holy land studies at israel bible center I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I really love having geeky conversations with people about new things. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues, because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. This week, we continue to listen in on portions of the roundtable talk that Dr. Yeshaya Gruber from IBC had with Dr. Amy Jill Levine and Dr. Mark Brettler. This is the third week we are talking about this talk, and there are so many gems in the conversation. We haven't even touched on their idea about the Son of Man and Jewish Christian relations. You need to go listen to the whole talk. It really is just so good. You may remember last week when Dr. Levine said.
1: The text has to have some sort of harmony uh, because otherwise people won't have a, a common core of belief system. So that's where the creeds come in and the creeds wind up harmonizing the various
0: texts. I'd be curious to hear what your initial reaction was to that. Did it surprise you? Did it make sense? I think there is more to the conversation we should discuss. Let's start with Dr. Levine. She talks about why Christians developed a need to harmonize the biblical text and to hold reverently to the creeds.
1: Christians think the same way. And and, and as as I'm sure people listening in, Jews, you know, God forbid we would all think the same way. Within the Protestant tradition, uh, and from Martin Luther on, there was this move that, that Luther called Sola Scriptura to go back to the text and forget about any glosses or interpretations or additions that had been put on um, over the centuries between the time the text was canonized and the time Luther was beginning what we eventually called the Protestant Reformation. Um, but the Roman Catholic Church and on the Eastern side, the various Eastern Orthodox communions, Had added multiple teachings to this material because they had to. Um, How is one to understand the Christ? Is he fully human? Is he fully God? Is he a little bit more God than he is a little bit more human? How do we understand the Trinity? Um, Are they all equal or is the Spirit subordinate to the Father and the Son? How exactly did, did Mary conceive and was she a perpetual virgin or did she have normal marital relations with Joseph following the birth of Jesus? So there were enormous numbers of teachings that developed. Um, So depending upon the Christian movement or denomination, that term is not always appropriate for all the different movements uh, to which one belongs, one will have different lenses through which to see the Bible. And in fact, today, you can buy Catholic annotated Bibles and Greek Orthodox annotated Bibles and Methodist Bibles and, and, you know, uh, the King James Version or the Schofield Reference Bible or so on. Um, so everybody is providing different interpretations. It's just that in general, Jews tend to have a more wide ranging sense of interpretation. And as Mark and I argue in the volume, we think there's a cultural reason for that. Um, Jews can develop multiple interpretations because at the end of the day, they're all still Jews. We're not just a religion in the sense of a people gathered together on the sense of a common belief. And that's a very narrow definition of religion, but work with me for the moment. Um, We're a people. Um, We're kind of like um, Americans who clearly, under the circumstances, can can debate lots of different things. But at the end of the day, no matter how much we disagree, we're all still Americans and we recognize that common core. But in the early years of the church, one was not born a Christian. As Mark pointed out, the word wasn't even there in, in the first couple of decades. Um, One was not born a believer in Jesus, one became a believer in Jesus. Or as the Gospel of John puts it, one is born anew or born from above, or if one must, born again, which is actually not a good translation. So because they're held together by belief, they can't argue too much, because if you get in by belief, you get out by belief. So the idea in the early church was to cut back on multiple readings, lest somebody stray into heresy, and then be put outside the community. Now, Jews understand heretics, people like Alicia Benabuya or Ahir, but he still are a heretic. Um, we're still quoting him. But in the church, you really didn't want to be put outside, so you didn't debate that much.
0: I hadn't really thought about the overall effect of Christianity, of choosing to belong to a religion and thus the possibility of being rejected from that faith community, And the more I thought about it, the more I see the connection with people I talk to in churches, in seminaries, and in universities. In Christian culture, we like to have the right answer. The fact we think there is only one answer is interesting, too. I've seen this play out in several conversations I'm having right now outside of the Israel Bible Center So just like I have done in the last couple weeks, I invite Dr. Shazer in to see if he sees this play out in communities around him.
2: Yes, definitely. Uh, In um, I think it, it tends to be more in evangelical Christian circles when I'm when I'm in those in those circles and having chats. Um, and teaching, uh, there's a kind of like, I think, a lack of history that that it's almost like one day we woke up in, you know, the sometime in the early 20th century, and everything was figured out, you know. Uh, And uh, it's just not true. I mean, even if you go to like the Reformation with Luther, um, it's not as though in the 1500s, suddenly everything got solidified and had a singular meaning. I mean, there would be no need for, say, Calvin after Luther, if that were the case, uh, because Calvin and Luther don't disagree, or don't agree on on everything. You know, actually, they disagree on quite a lot. Um, or, you know, if it were just plain and simple, is you know, plain as the nose on your face, is the biblical text. You know, and just read it and you know it. Well, what is Luther doing? That's right,
0: kind of a sola scriptura kind of idea, right?
2: Sure, good. So, sola scriptura, yeah. So, Latin, right? Scripture alone. Um, this this is Luther's. Luther used the phrase several times over, and his followers did after him. But but why write a bunch of commentaries on the biblical text as Luther did if, if it's sola scriptura, um,
0: <laughs> you know actually
2: what, uh, what 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 it really means is it doesn't really mean that scripture it, it's scriptural is the scripture is the final authority for Luther so that is everything needs to be based on on you know the scripture as the as the the strongest authority um, tradition can be right it just needs to align with the biblical text. Um, I, you know, it's funny. So I, I said that I grew up Catholic, and uh, um, but a, as I got more into this, right, I've dedicated my academic life to midrash. That is these rabbinic discussions that you were talking about, Cindy. The idea of dialogue and debate. Rabbi A says this. Rabbi B says this. Rabbi C comes in and says you're both wrong. Let's go get a drink together. Uh, this is an actual discussion in the Talmud, by the way.
0: But we really like defined boxes, and we really like to know that we are exactly correct in, in what we're believing, because we don't want to be wrong, right? And we're uncomfortable with ambiguity.
2: Of course, that's right. And, and you know what, it's just, it's, it's a Judaic, um, this is some, this is a page that Christians can take out of Jewish history, Jewish literature, Jewish dialogue, but even, you know, contemporary Judaism today. And that is a kind of comfort level with multi-vocality, for lack of a better term. I, I don't mean to use academies, but like um, the fact that a, a one text can have five meanings and they can all be valid, um, Jews just tend to be more comfortable with this idea than, than Christians are. Why is that? And A.J. and, and Mark allude to this idea in the uh, in their discussion, the roundtable talk, is that uh, to be Jewish is both religious belief, but it's also ethnicity. It's also being born into a group. Um, with Christianity later on, uh, since the nations, the Gentiles are involved in this Jewish movement, it actually starts to become something about what's bobbling around in your head, and that's the most important, you know, factor in this whole thing because it, there's no ethnicity anymore. It's it's you know it's multi-ethnic, right? And so um, Christians have inherited a tradition in which you need to be right. Your head needs to be right. You, you need to have everything in a in a nice little box, or else you're out. Actually you're a heretic, or you're not doing this rightly. Jews, they just don't, it's not a necessity. You're you're in, you can have weird opinions within that and disagree and debate. Um, But even the Talmud, the Talmud even says, you know, like, you know, apostates from Israel are still Israel. And that's in a real, in a real way, that's true. Um, But it's it's not quite the case in Christianity. So uh, Christians tend to want to systematize and make sure they've they've crossed every T and dotted every I, and what I would just say is um, Luke doesn't do that. Luke Luke, Luke feels comfortable with multi meaning and multi vocality. So if, if that's okay, and I think Luke is Jewish, by the way, I don't. There's a, it's traditional to understand that that, that Luke is a Gentile. Um, there's no internal textual evidence to support that idea, and much of what Luke says is highly Judaic, um, and so. Uh, in this first century, you know, Judaic milieu, um, people are just much more comfortable with this multivocality idea and and don't feel the knee-jerk need to harmonize the text where it doesn't need to be harmonized. I often um, refer to it kind of hypothetically, um, metaphorically, as like a wave. Like if you've ever been, ever been in the ocean and and there's big waves that day and a big one comes up and you, you can't get to the shore in time, you know it's going to hit you. You've got two options. One is you can dig your dig your heels in to the sand and try to like brace yourself and like run into the wave. Now what's going to happen there is the wave is going to knock you face first and all your teeth are going to come out. That's option one. Option two is to kind of go loose and let the wave take you where it's going to go, kind of protecting your face but not digging your heels in because it's going to hurt you. So what I would suggest to Christians, and I use this metaphor quite a bit, is you need to go with the wave of the scripture that is digging our heels in and systematizing things, this verse means this, this verse means this, That that's not how the first century Jewish reader would have approached this material. They would have gone with the wave. Uh, as Christians, we need to let the material work on us. We don't work on it.
0: That's a really good uh, statement. <laughs> Even just as professionals in the biblical studies world, it's always good to be reminded of that, to turn the text and let it speak to us and against us instead of us pulling it apart constantly to solve it and figure it out.
2: That's right. And and the difficulty obviously is there have to be borders. There have to be places that you can't go, you know? So for example, you know, the um, let's say Ezekiel's visions in Ezekiel one with the, the the divine chariot vision and the cherubim and all that, like that's not an alien spaceship, but period like th- that, that isn't, that is an illegitimate reading and interpretation of that text and I think every thinking person realizes that. Uh, but the question is, how do you define the the parameters of what's in and what's out? You know, um, as much as I love the rabbis and I love them desperately, and I think that they are right about a lot, they also have this kind of interpretive method that they call atbash, in which uh, it, it's wild. You can take a word in Hebrew, and this is kind of a later rabbinic development, take a word in Hebrew and... If it's, if it's, say, the letter Aleph starts the word, we'll change that to a Tav. So that is, if, if, the, if the word starts with the first letter of the alphabet, you switch it to the last. If it's the second letter of the alphabet, you switch it to the penultimate letter. So at is just like a, a kind of abbreviation for switching the letters. And whichever, whatever you come up with, that's an interpretation of the word, okay? <laughs> okay, so that's nonsense. I mean, that is nonsensical. And and so we need to build both, I I would say, from a Christian perspective and a Judaic perspective, from the perspective of the way that these biblical texts have been understood and attempted to be interpreted over the, like some stuff is illegitimate, you know, and and the tough part, but also the fun part is to try to figure out where those borders are. And all that we can do as like useful readers and like, and, 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 nice people is to try to give each other some room and some grace as we're trying to feel our way around those borders.
0: Let's end with one more interesting comparison that Dr. Mark Brettler makes. Do you see any of these aspects reflected in your own faith community?
3: Again, a fundamental difference between Judaism as it developed and Christianity as it developed, that very often non-Jews who talked about Judaism did not fully appreciate, is that Judaism did not have the equivalent of the early synods, which Christianity had. There were no group meetings to say, hey, this is our canon and this isn't our canon, or this is our belief about Trinitarian, uh, Trinitarianism, and if you don't believe in Trinitarianism, you're out. So because of those structural differences which often have a lot to do with the power that Christianity had especially after the time of Constantine but even to some extent before that there are fundamental differences between how certain notions of interpretation could become circum and belief could become circumscribed within Christianity that did not exist within Judaism. And in addition to that I mean AJ mention Martin Luther's notion of sola scriptura, which is a really, really important notion, but which many people incorrectly think means that each person has the right to interpret scripture by themselves. And even within Protestant denominations, that really is not the case. If you come into church saying, oh, I really think the Bible means this, people will say, no, that is impossible. So even within Christianity, even within Protestantism, it is really not the case that each individual can interpret the Bible by herself or himself, but very often within particular denominations, there are certain basic rules, sort of draw the outline of what types of interpretation are permitted and which are not. When I teach Christian students, they're often quite astounded by the following two things. One of the most common phrases in rabbinic literature is davar acher, another opinion. And the students ask me, well, which opinion is correct? And I'll point out to them that the structure of the rabbinic text does not allow us to say which opinion is correct. And similarly, uh, if you take a look at the mikrot gedolot, at the standard rabbinic Bible, you have the biblical text. You have traditionally next to it, the ancient Aramaic translation, the Targum of it. And then depending on the edition that you're looking at, you have a number of commentators, more or less printed in the same size, more or less having the same authority on the page. You know, there's nothing quite like this in the structure of Christian tradition. And that really emphasizes the notion of the significance of multiplicity of interpretation, or to really correct myself by adding a word, the significance of the authority, the legitimate authority of multiple interpretation within Judaism.
0: All of this goes back to what Dr. Brettler and Dr. Levine say in their book, that the Bible itself is less important in Judaism than the Bible interpreted. What's interesting is I've had this conversation a few times with a whole variety of people recently, because I know people who belong to the Orthodox Church. They have a robust view of Scripture and its interpretation through history. I think it is very similar to what the Jewish view is. If you're Orthodox and listening and think I'm wrong, please connect with me. We've covered so many interesting issues that came up in that roundtable discussion. Thank you to Dr. Nicholas Shazer for joining me in these three weeks to contribute to the conversation. If you would like to listen to the whole interview, you have full access to this and many more of the Roundtable Talks if you are an IBC student or when you just decide to sign up for Israel Bible Center's certificate program in Jewish context and culture. Find us on the web at israelbiblecenter.com or click on the link in the notes at the bottom of this episode. It will take three minutes, maybe three minutes to enroll in the program. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thank you for being curious about the world of the Bible.